The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. What do Civil War soldiers and generals and listeners to Civil War Talk Radio have in common? Based on my observation at roundtables, reenactments, conferences, bookstores, other places where people likely to listen to this show are found, we share some physical characteristics with generals of the 1860s. Most of us are male, white, over 40 or over 50, overweight by a few pounds or several more pounds, and most relevant for tonight's show, most of us have beards. Our guests tonight are keen observers of the hirsute visages of the Civil War era. Anna Hyder and Julia Hyder are the authors of Badass Beards of the Civil War, and they'll join us tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you as usual from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university, nor will my guests speak for any university or any organization. We're all on our own hook. It's an independent, uh, free exchange of opinions as usual. Legal disclaimer completed. This is the Brewster Building. I will hasten to add, named for Lawrence F. Brewster, a uh, long-ago professor in the history department here at East Carolina, and 
uh, someone who must have invested insanely well because he left a lot of money to the university and they built this building in which we now complain every week about our facilities, but still it's not, it's, there are worse buildings. Uh, in contrast, there's another building on campus. It's the heart of controversy over its namesake, but we'll, we'll talk about that perhaps another day. Uh, this week, of course, was, is the, the, the big sports week of the year or the year, the event everyone looks forward to every year, talks about it for weeks, and then suddenly it's, it's upon us and gone. And I'm referring, of course, to the North Carolina Adult Soccer Association Men's Over 55 Tournament, which is coming up in Wilmington this weekend. And your Greenville Stars Over 55 team will be tangling with teams like Carolina Old School and Old Castle from Raleigh and Reale Old from Charlotte. Uh, our goal, as always, will be not to get injured and share a few rounds Saturday night. Uh, apparently, there was another sports event of some sort last weekend, but I'm not up on that, so we'll just move forward. Uh, and for those who don't want to hear any sports talk on Civil War Talk Radio, I can't blame you. Uh, the good news is Football's over, basketball is here, and my Michigan Wolverines have seen all their players either turn pro or get injured, so they're now using four walk-ons and the ball boy, and it's there's nothing I'm going to want to talk about all season for that, so, so we're in the clear. What I will want to talk about uh, are recurring things like the uh, what used to be the Matterhorn travel uh, Civil War tour coming up in May. Now it's Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours running the show since Ken Block retired at Matterhorn. If you're interested in a uh, really uh, well-organized tour, I highly recommend the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours uh, Civil War tour. I'm leading the one from May 24th to the 31st. I get paid whether you go or not. This is not out of self-interest, although it would be nice to have a lot of listeners aboard the the uh, luxury buses we see all kinds of places Gettysburg, Antietam, Harper's Ferry, many others. Uh, so something to look into if you're uh, so inclined. Coming up on the show next week will be uh, closest to Lincoln's birthday. It'll be February 11th, close enough, and we'll have David S. Reynolds, the editor of Lincoln's Selected Writings, a new edition of Lincoln's Writings, and it'll be interesting to find out his take, why he selected what he did, and uh, what he thinks Lincoln has to say to us now. On February 18th, David Powell, author of Chickamauga, the Chickamauga Campaign, a Mad Irregular Battle, will be with us. He is the expert these days on Chickamauga. Looking forward to that. Aaron Astor joins us on the 25th, talking about uh, the Civil War in the Cumberland. We've got a break in the schedule on March 4th. Have to... uh, fill that. Uh, we'll, we'll get around to that before then. And then it'll be spring break here on March 11th. We'll come back with Michael Stevenson and the life and death of the soldier on April or on March 18th and and more after that. Your suggestions are always welcome. As you know, your, uh, you can email them to me here at East Carolina University. I've uh, got some good ones, including some uh, good questions for this evening. And uh, you can also support all our guests on the show by their books. Go to impedimentsofwar.org, click on the Amazon button, and uh, click on the book button, or I believe is how it works there. It takes you to Amazon, and the click-through gets us a few pennies, keeps the site going. Mark Gaffney keeps us up to date there. You can also donate to Civil War Talk Radio. 
it's tax time. I was doing my taxes this week, so I remind you, as I do every week, your donations to Civil War Talk Radio are not deductible. Indeed, I end up paying the tax on them because I use them for whatever nefarious purpose I choose, including conceivably uh, hair and and beard grooming products. So it's up to uh, you to be sure that you do not deduct those donations to the show. Some of them actually go to books, and those are the books we talk about here on the show. Well, tonight we have a book, which I need to turn around on my chair and see where in the room it is. Uh, The book is called Badass Beards of the Civil War. The authors are Anna and Julia Hyder, and I've got my copy of it here in front of me again. Back to the console. And let us bring our guests in. Uh, Anna and Julia, are you there? Hi, yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Now, both of you, I looked at your uh, materials here, are recent college graduates, so I want to say congratulations to both of you on that accomplishment. Thank you so much. And uh, Julia, I understand you went to the Ohio State University. Yes, I just heard you Uh, talking about Michigan. (laughs) That's right. I'm not going to talk to you anymore tonight. Anna, tell us all about the book. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) Just uh, I, I, I'm willing to be open-minded about that. Uh, and Anna, you, you you graduated from Syracuse University? Yep, that's right. So, uh, again, uh, congratulations. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about this book. Uh, describe it to our listeners who have not had the opportunity to see it. What does it look like? So, um, on the cover, we have, um, of course, we went with Ambrose Burnside for the cover uh, because his facial hair is so distinct and history-making. And um, what our publisher did actually was sort of just do the, the, the bottom half of his face. And so you're supposed to be able to hold the book up to your face and uh, take a selfie picture um, looking like you have... Ambrose Burnside sideburns, and so um, that's what we went with for the cover. And within, we have a series of pictures of Civil War people and their beards. Uh, where, where did the idea for this book come from? Yes, so uh, I was watching a documentary. It was on the History Channel, I think, um, and I think it was about the Lincoln assassination, and I was watching it, and I just noticed that everybody that they were talking about had crazy facial hair, and so I thought that it would make a good coffee table book, but since you can't just write a coffee table book and have it published, I sort of thought about starting a blog about facial hair in the Civil War, and so I asked my sister if she wanted to co-found this blog and and co-write it with me, and she said yes, she set it up, and that's how badasscivilwarbeards.tumblr.com was born. So this originally began online. It is uh, yes. uh, at uh, Tumblr, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, that's the social networking site that we use to um, set up the blog. Uh, I think I speak for many Civil War talk radio listeners who are tech-savvy enough to be listening tonight mm-hmm. but don't know exactly what Tumblr means. Yeah, so Tumblr, it's a blogging platform, um, and the nice thing is that there's a lot of like communities on there that use it to kind of connect with each other. Yeah, so 
there's a lot of history buffs and Civil War buffs on there that are, I guess, younger. Um, and so we were able to get a following together. So sort of tap into those communities and also beard enthusiast communities, I guess. And um, so we were able to sort of keep track of who was following. They also have a good system of sort of tagging our posts so people can search for them later, whether that be, you know, um, Civil War-related things or beard-related things or anything else we might mention on the blog. And so that's why we sort of decided to use Tumblr, and that's sort of how the, the Tumblr end of it works. And so where did you find uh, pictures? Once you got the idea, let's, let's do some Civil War beards, where did you start looking? So for the, the day-to-day posts, we mostly use Wikipedia because they, although the information isn't always the best, they have, they have a decent amount of pictures and they also are good at um, categorizing things and making lists and um, posts about the, the Civil War. And so that's really helpful. Library of Congress is also really great for finding stuff that is probably like pictures of less famous people that probably wouldn't have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, so for, for daily posts, we, we mainly look to Wikipedia, but for the book, we had to get everything from the Library of Congress. A lot of the um, beards we wrote about in the book were inspired by other blog posts that we had made, but um, we uh, used the Library of Congress because they have so many pictures, pictures that of people who you know, aren't necessarily famous, and then they also have the right size and format of pictures that we needed. Yeah, but they do have good quality uh, files there. And and I guess there's also the usage issue that you know what the rights are when you work exactly. in the library of Congress, which is publishers seem to care about that, I've discovered. Exactly. Just a little, yeah. yeah. Uh, so did you come to this with a, a predisposition to, to be interested in history? Uh, you said you were watching you know, History Channel when... Yeah. What's your background in history? Um, so Anna and I are both history minors, but the, the funny thing is, is neither my sister nor I would really consider ourselves um, Civil War buffs. Um, Just history buffs in general. Yeah, like the Civil War is, is not necessarily my favorite period of history to study. It's very, sometimes it can be, you know, heavy to study. And so I, what I like about our book is that it sort of is a lighter take on it. So, did you? So your interest in history predates this, but oh yes, this is what what brought you into the uh, the the Civil War era. Yes, is, is that safe? Uh, oh yeah. The uh, well, we'll ask a number one question. So, uh, who has the best uh, facial hair in the book? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's always tough. Um, Ambrose Burnside is our cover boy, and so we're very partial to him. I mean, he he invented the the sideburns and that distinctive, you know, facial hair style that connects above the the mouth. But um, Roswell Ripley, yeah, he has the the thing of when they would sort of twist their beards into points. Um, and there are a couple of unnamed people in here as well. Joe who, Revere has a really good. Beard. There are some, definitely some some exotic ones. I will say that. Exotic, um, yes. Did you find that that between officers and enlisted men, or generals and enlisted men, would, would 
were there differences? Did, did that strike you as you were looking at these pictures? I guess it's safe to say that the officers could, you know, have fancier facial hair and do more with it. Yeah, more groomed, maybe. Shapes, yeah. if you will. Um, but, yeah, that didn't stop any of the soldiers from, you know, doing fun things. A lot of people did stuff kind of inspired by Ambrose Burnside, which is interesting. Even, like, Confederate officers. Yeah, even people in the South, which I thought was really interesting. One wonders, looking at these, um, you know, what what they were thinking. Uh, <laughs> I, I asked our listeners about uh, the, this book when uh, your publicist, and uh, full marks to your publicist, who is uh, extremely persistent and effective. Oh, she's so great. And, and yes, uh, she did an excellent job. And, you know, initially I thought, well, I'm not sure, you know, we can talk about beards for the whole time. What are we going to say? And then, then there was some pressure. So I, I talked to the listeners and listeners, you responded with uh, email and it was overwhelmingly in favor of, oh yes, let's, let's do this. And I also got then a fair number of emailed questions from listeners and I'll read one of them, and then we'll take a little break so you can think it over. Uh, awesome. But uh, this one, it, it's, it's, uh, it goes on a bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll run it by you. Uh, okay. The number one question, why? Why were they so hairy? Why so extravagant? Was it a competition to see who could have the most outrageous facial hair? There has to be a reason. I'm a child of the 1980s. I graduated high school in 88 at the height of the heavy metal music and weird 80s fashion. Yes, I had a mullet, business in the front, and party in the back. The reason? The girls dug it. It was all about the girls. Plus, I played in a band and thought I was a rock star. I doubt they did it in the Civil War for the girls. Maybe it was an intellectual thing. Social status? A regular Jackson-like beard, I can see, unkempt and long due to long periods in the field, no need to shave. But why did these other guys spend all that time grooming the mutton chops in the field? So it's more than a single question, a lot to think about. We're going to take a short break and come back and get some responses to that from our guests today, Anna Hyder and Julia Hyder, authors of Badass Civil War Beards. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to Prokopovich G at ECU.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ECU.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Anna Hyder and Julia Hyder, authors of Badass Civil War Beards, a look at the facial hair of the soldiers, generals, and enlisted men who fought in the Civil War. Uh, Anna and Julia, I should note, I have uh, two daughters, my older daughter is exactly your age. She just graduated from uh, Bowdoin College in May of last year, and I'm looking at page 62, and there's Joshua Chamberlain, uh, Bowdoin's most distinguished graduate, uh, with, it says, he has a tarantula on his face. Oh, wait, (laughs) it's his mustache, never mind. Uh, But Chamberlain is famous up there in, uh, in Brunswick, Maine, where my daughter went to school, and she's if she had a question for you, I'm sure it would be, so do you guys have a job? Uh, <laughs> um, that, that's the question all the young graduates seem to be asking. It is. Uh, are, are things going all right for you guys? Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing some freelance writing and editing type work. And I am uh, doing social media and like creating content for a startup website slash app called Road Trippers hmm. helps you plan a road trip. So that's been really fun. Interesting. The, uh, the, there is the, the intersection of, of civil war history and technology is, is ever evolving. I, I got an uh, email this week from somebody who's trying to sell uh, museum software, that, that some kind of app that works in your museum and helps guests find their way around. Uh, so all kinds of things are, are evolving all the time. Well, we left off our first segment with a question, a lengthy question, really a biography of the questioner more than anything. But the bottom line was, why Why do you think these people spent so much time uh, on these elaborate facial productions? Yeah, so we have a, a couple of different theories as to the motivations behind this facial hair. One of them being that for some of the less uh, groom style stuff that takes less time to upkeep, um, just some of the basic beards that, you know, they couldn't shave when they were, you know, in the army and they were out in the the fields and they were at camp, you know, it, it must've been difficult for them to shave. And so that might explain some of it, but then when you get into more mustaches Elegant and burn stuff. sides and stuff like that, um, I read some stuff that maybe it had to do with them expressing their masculinity, maybe in a time when women were trying to fight for more rights for themselves. They were trying to, men were trying to 
you know, use their facial hair as a way to show their manliness. And then our other theory is that uh, there were no women around to tell them that they looked ridiculous. <laughs> they just did whatever they wanted, whatever or, made them happy. Or maybe they were trying to intimidate the other side. Yeah. That, that, all of the theories that we have going. I, I, they work on different levels. I think from a tactical standpoint, by the time you're close enough to see the other guy's beard, you probably made up your mind whether to run away or not on, on, on a different basis. But the, uh, I, here's another listener question that touches on exactly what you just said. Uh, I'll, I'll read this to you. It says, I'm a few weeks behind in my listenership of Civil War Talk Radio, but I wanted to offer some input uh, regarding the prospect of a show discussing Civil War beards. As a historical anthropology student, I find that prospect to be especially interesting. I've seen some interesting anthropological studies which produce observations regarding facial hair trends over the Victorian era and how those trends relate to other historical trends and topics. Uh, I'd be fascinated to hear a discussion of that uh, and so on. And and so you touch on, on that in, in what you just suggested, that there is perhaps an attempt to you know, establish one's male identity at a distance, mm-hmm. and some of these beards can be seen at a great distance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so that, that may be onto something. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, another listener made an observation that if you watch World War II movies or, or look at photographs from the Second World War, uh, and certainly History Channel is not shy on covering that topic, uh, the the classic look of the, the Civil War GI is uh, sort of three-day shadow, a kind of stubble. They, they didn't wear beards. But they aren't clean shaven either. Mm-hmm. It, it, are, are you visualizing that? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So what is it? Just fashion, do you suppose? Why? Why in one war did men, uh, you know, cultivate this? I'm not quite shaved look, and in another war, in the war that you've portrayed here, they're elaborately uh, groomed. I guess. <coughs> Excuse um, me. I don't know. Maybe. Styles were different back then. And, and I'm sort of thinking now, you know, another time when sideburns and sort of mustaches were, were coming back into fashion was the 70s. And mm-hmm. um, so you had Vietnam then, but then you also had civil rights and uh, sort of another women's rights movement. And I definitely think you're starting to see some more of it now again as well. But this time it's more of full, sort beard. of full beards. It. it- does evolve continuously. You're right. In the uh, facial hair was completely out in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, men did not wear that, and they, except uh, beatniks, if you if you were yeah. <laughs> explicitly unconventional, then then you wore a beard as a way of declaring that. Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned that in the 60s because that does tie in with the rise of, of what was originally called the women's liberation movement, and then you see men who supported it uh, or, or men in the counterculture wearing beards and mustaches. Exactly. A lot of it, we're, we're drifting a little off the Civil War topic, but I'll yes, share this. I apologize for that. But, uh. but this is what Civil War Talk Radio is about. We talk, we talk history. Uh, a lot of the, the men in the anti-war movement and the, uh, the radical left of the 60s, many of them were extremely uh, male-centered and and not 
uh, not at all sympathetic with the the women's movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's quite surprising when you go back and read some of their stuff and see that they are uh, much more uh, chauvinistic was the phrase uh, mm-hmm. towards women than than you would expect. So maybe the facial hair that they cultivated was was part of an explicit declaration there. Well, let me take us back to the 1860s here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people who aren't in here, uh, who the viewers, the, the reader might expect. Uh, yes. Uh, how did you make your selections of who, who got in and who got out? So, first of all, we had to make sure that everybody we could include, um, the Library of Congress had their picture, they had the right file type, they had the right size file, and that there were no restrictions on the picture and that we were able to use it. But you might be surprised that... For example, Abraham Lincoln is not in the book. Yes, I was. He was in the original draft that we sent in, and our our publishers thought that he was maybe too obvious, even though he, he has a good story about how he grew his beard or a good legend behind it. But we tried to do a good mix of people that um, everybody might know and people that we don't even know their yeah. names. So, yeah, you do have a, a selection of, as you say, anonymous you know, soldiers, yeah. uh, which does add something to it. But uh, you're right, Lincoln, you know, I kept turning the page thinking, well, we'll get to Lincoln here. And it, uh, what uh, other uh, Grant, uh, U.S. Grant and Robert E. Lee are two other famous ones. Their beards are not as cool looking as some other people's yeah so. i think we ended up cutting them in favor of people who had more more interesting beards even though they're they're very well known and they do have facial hair it's just sort of bland compared to they're not as badass as other beards do you think the people who wore those beards were thinking that way and i'll, I'll quote another listener uh uh question. Let me see if I can find the one here. Uh, someone wrote, Grant has that whole slovenly, unpretentious, the art of war is simple enough. That was a famous quote of his. The art of war is simple enough. He has that democratic aesthetic going, like Zachary Taylor. Uh, was this part of a self-conscious persona in contrast to more elaborate uh, facial hair like George McClellan? Do you suppose that there was some of that? That, that, be, that There's a reason why Grant is so simple? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. That's not something we had considered a whole ton, but I think that whatever facial hair that anyone chose has a, a lot to say about their personality type. The uh, has a pretty, like, simple, understated beard. He does. It, it's an unusual one. It, we're so accustomed to seeing it. We, mm-hmm. But if you see anyone wear their facial hair that way, you think they're trying to be a Lincoln impersonator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is not done. You mentioned about him growing the beard. What was that story? Yeah, so there's, I don't, we don't know how true this is, but there's a legend that um, he was clean shaven before and then, well, we know that's true. But, yeah. But at true. some point while he was running for president, a little girl wrote him a letter telling him he would look more presidential with a beard. So he grew one for her. And he kept it. It's a true story. Uh, It is, (laughs) yeah. Yes, full marks for that. Well done. Um, (laughs) The uh, uh, one of the questions a listener wrote in was, "Did did Mary have something to say about that?" And uh, that I don't know the answer to. But uh, uh, yes, the uh, 
the story of the little girl in, in, in New York who wanted him to grow a beard is is where that came from. Um, another interesting question that came up, and this one just from you, you might have a thought based on all the, the pictures you've looked at. Uh, a listener suggested when we think of World War II again for comparison, mm-hmm. uh, think of the the mustache of Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. No male today can wear that mustache. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, you can't wear Lincoln without looking kind of silly, like you're pretending to be Lincoln. But nobody would want to be. So, so that's a piece of facial hair style that has been essentially taken off the table for all time. What did you find any hairstyles, beard styles that just nobody would wear because the guy who wore them was a loser? Well, um, Ambrose, like, Ambrose Burnside, he, he, I don't think he was a loser, but it's a little, he, he, wasn't, little there. he wasn't the, the best at his job necessarily. And it's, it's a little out there, but you definitely don't see that anymore. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff we included other than Burnside really is, except for maybe some of these, these long chin straps, but I'm seeing a lot of these on, uh, nobody that was so bad that their facial hair has been associated with being bad, just stuff that's too ridiculous to wear. Yeah. There were no real villains that, you know, had such bad associations like Adolf Hitler. No. And and as I'm, as you're saying that I'm paging through the book, I'm thinking, uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth is somebody who, Exactly. Most of us would consider a villain, yeah. but one of the biggest villains. But his hair isn't so dramatic that uh, maybe, maybe it's just it's not so distinctive. You know, he's not the only one of this time who who wore that facial hairstyle, and he's not the only one after. So it people don't you know think of John Wilkes and think of his mustache. You know, that's <laughs> right. I, I've got the page. Here's a conspiracy theory: John Wilkes Booth and his pathetic crustache. <laughs> assassinated Abraham Lincoln out of beard envy. Sounds totally plausible. Who wasn't jealous of Abe's majestic beard back then? And there there we go. There's a theory we can consider. There are certainly Definitely. conspiracy theories are common enough. We can we can add that one to the list. Uh, <laughs> not that out there. <laughs> not not too far. Compared to some stuff. So the did you get well let's say what was the hardest part of, of putting this project together for you? For, for me, it was definitely choosing who we had to cut because this book, um, it's pretty short and part of the reason it's so short is because we, we had to write it very qu- quickly because we definitely, we wanted to have it out by this or uh, November of 2014 because that was going to be the last no-shave November within the 150th anniversary of the Civil War. And so we only had started writing this in January of 2014. And so it's only about 90 pages because um, we had such a short time frame to write it in. And so for me, definitely choosing um, who to cut and, you know, cutting Abraham Lincoln, for example, that was definitely difficult. And the Library of Congress has so many pictures and having to go through all of those and, and deciding who could make it in and who we had to cut was difficult. One thing that authors almost always experience certainly writing history where you're doing research is once you've published the book you continue to come across stuff uh people will send you stuff say oh you wrote about this here's a letter from a guy in your army or uh, you'll just see something somewhere 
Have you had that experience where you've you've come across a picture since the book came out and thought, oh, I wish we had that one? All the time. All, yeah, all the time. I mean, the other day, I don't I don't think this guy was in the Civil War, but someone um, told us about it. It was the founder of Poland Spring, Maine, I think, that town, and this guy just had the most insane sideburns that I'd ever seen. They were they were just they were so long, and you know, it it was really crazy. And I I sort of wish that we had seen that before the book, so we could you know maybe try and find a connection. Well, I'll I'll throw one out there for you, uh, uh, Horace Greeley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were. Just on Twitter the other day, the U.S. National Archives had had mentioned him, and they actually didn't consider his um, neck beard, if you will, to be facial hair because it technically wasn't on his face; <laughs> it was just <laughs> on his neck, and so th- they didn't count that. But um, yeah, we, we love it all the same. Yeah, we love it all the same. We were just looking at it the other day. So, it, 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 listeners, if you haven't recently looked at the picture of Horace Greeley, editor of the New York Tribune, it. James Thurber, I think, or Robert Benchley, one of the humorists of the 1930s, described it as looking as though he elaborately combed his chest hair up out of his collar before. Exactly. Uh, you love it. And it, it, you're right, it's not facial hair. It never it gets quite to his face. Yeah. Um, truly a bizarre, bizarre fashion. Uh, and, and one you don't see today. I'm, I'm wondering if there's you know, a cultural opportunity each generation tries to find ways to annoy their elders uh i know my kids i definitely think that was going on in the 60s it it might have been going on in the 1860s as well and could it go on to i mean you know today you see the the tattoos and the piercings but if people young men started wearing facial hair like this oh absolutely uh, our brother shaved some ridiculous facial hair thing that we designed for him for uh, our book signing and our parents were definitely weirded out so. i should let listeners know our, our guest tonight are two of three triplets so you have a brother for the third yes he can grow his own facial hair yeah so, so he, he doesn't need to write a book he, he can exactly. just look in the mirror uh, well that takes care of make, makes it easy for in that sense well We are going to take another short break. We'll be back uh, in just a few moments. We're talking today with Anna and Julia Heider about badass Civil War beards. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live and on demand. 
No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Anna Hyder and Julia Hyder. They are the authors of Badass Civil War Beards. It's a heavily illustrated photo book of some of the most outrageous facial hair worn by soldiers, enlisted, and officers alike during the Civil War. Uh, there really are some some head-scratching moments in this book, uh, as you see the way men chose to wear their beards, some just exotically long. You know, one can imagine out in the field that could happen. Uh, but the places where hair will grow on a man's cheeks or where it can be scraped off are, are really, in some cases, uh, well, you just, you just wonder. Uh, you know, one theory might be they didn't have mirrors out there in the field, but they, the, the elaborate grooming suggests they did. Uh, Julia, before I forget, I wanted to ask you, do you ever have Professor Grimsley for a history class at Ohio State? What? what uh, Professor Mark Grimsley, did you ever I have a class with him? So. I don't think so. He, he's a... Uh, uh, he, he, Teaches military history, Civil War history, and oh, yeah, I I don't think I took any military Civil War classes, yeah. but I, I could have taken every history class if if I was allowed to. It it one never has enough time for all the electives. Uh, exactly that that does happen. Um, let me let me put a serious question on on both of you and and get your thoughts about this. Uh, you could. In theory, to, everybody has a high school yearbook uh, still, and everybody has most people have a dorky picture of themselves in their high school yearbook. Uh, they agonize over it, and a few years later, they look back and go, "What was I thinking? Why did I wear that? My hair, whatever." Uh, so, someone could go today to the high school yearbooks of uh, American soldiers of the present, uh, men and, and women as well, who fought and perhaps were wounded in Afghanistan or Iraq, and then dig up their dorky high school pictures and, and publish a book of them. But you couldn't because no publisher would touch it, and no one would have the bad taste to do that. Um, what's different about this? Is we it uh, tried to not be outright mean. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just trying to do sort of a, a lighter take on a very heavy and serious period in history and, and maybe get more people interested in, in history that way. But yeah, I don't think we were outright mean and we tried not to be too disrespectful. There was maybe one that we were ever like, 
we ever thought would be too mean, but, and we did consider that like libel and slander and that kind of thing. We, it crossed our minds. Yes. We definitely considered all those things. So the, I mean, the passage of time does make a difference. It's obvious that, uh, uh, you know, whenever a bad thing happens, people go through stages of dealing with it. Uh, and after enough time for most people comes acceptance. And the same thing could be true on a national scale. Uh, we are still dealing with contemporary crises, uh, even relatively recent ones, uh, relatively more distant ones, I'd say as far back as the Vietnam War. We're not ready for comedy about Vietnam Mm-hmm. At least not much. Uh, comedy about the Korean War, you had MASH in the 70s. Yes. Uh, but comedy about World War II, uh, in the 1960s, there were Hogan's Heroes and other mm-hmm. other sitcoms that uh, some people at the time thought were in terrible taste, but others you know, thought they were mainstream. So is, maybe we're saying the Civil War is far enough distant that uh, a book that points out that the humor, and these are funny pictures, there's no mm-hmm. question about that, uh, that it's just a natural uh, way of dealing with a, a national trauma. Is, is that- years is a long time. Yeah. And, um, like I said, like we, I completely respect Ambrose Burnside. I have nothing but respect for the man and his decision to grow ridiculous facial hair. <laughs> so, yeah. None of this is like to be malicious or anything. Yeah. We respect them so much. Let me ask you a less serious question now. Thank you for, for <laughs> thinking about that one. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier you're, you're same age as, as my older daughter. Younger one is a, a freshman this year, so uh, not too far behind you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's too much pressure to ask the two of you to speak for your entire generation and tell me what do young people think about the Civil War that this book would not have been written by someone my age, partly because I have a beard and, you know, sensitive. Uh, but, I mean, among your peers, how many of your peers know who Ambrose Burnside was? I feel like a lot of people at least know the name and know that he had something to do with Burnside. They probably don't know too much else about him. I would say that Anna and I are probably atypical in our interests of history and passion for history. But we always had really good history teachers growing up, so that definitely helped. Um, But I I, I think in general, our generation doesn't, it it doesn't even cross our minds all that often. Um, But yeah, not a lot of people our age probably watch like Ken Burns documentaries for fun or anything like we do. Uh, So um, did you watch the... uh uh, the, the the revolution show that was just on uh, uh, Sons oh. of Liberty. Oh, oh, we did. We saw part of it, but um, we couldn't we couldn't make it past the first episode. Uh, well, that's something you and I have in common, then. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. We we sort of saw what they were trying to do by by making all of the founding, founding fathers. fathers more attractive. And I, <laughs> just smoking hot, but it, it yeah, it wasn't really. It didn't. It, yeah, but the. Uh, Samuel Adams was, you know, married in the Massachusetts legislature in real life, but he was exactly, smoking like, hot on that show. Yeah, yeah, beyond, beyond, yeah. <laughs> but beyond all of that, it just it, it really wasn't holding my interest. Like the HBO miniseries John Adams, for example, which was 
phenomenal. But so we, I mean, I know that that's a good it's a good story, and it can be done well. That just wasn't. No, I, I think you're. I'm, I'm guessing most listeners who took time to watch any of that would probably say the same thing. Uh, it was it was historical fiction with the exactly. emphasis on the fiction. I'm going to uh, now resurrect a long uh, dormant uh, facet of the show, the Civil War time machine, which I have not, which I'm bringing out of mothballs, used to be part of the show every week for, for several years, and it kind of fell into disuse, and it's here in the closet, and I'm going to bring it out. It's like the, the Wayback Machine of Sherman and, and Peabody. <laughs> My right. mother, who's listening to the show, asked me recently, what is the Wayback Machine? It was a cultural reference that was fell between her generation and mine. Do you guys know Sherman and Peabody? They actually just came out with a like a movie of Sherman and Peabody, and I saw a preview for it, so I am familiar with that reference. Okay, well, there we go. Well, the, the genius dog and his time machine and his hapless human friend. Um, so it goes like this. If you could travel in the Civil War time machine back to the era that you've written about here for 30 minutes and no more, who would you want to visit, and what would you want to say? Oh, oh God. Okay, I would want to go to Lincoln's assassination and stop it. Stop it, yeah. Oh, well, the, the time machine is a non-interactive device. Uh, okay. uh, you, you can't change the past, uh, but that's a noble thought, and I, I think everyone appreciates it. Um, but if you could ask, if you could have a conversation, is, is, after looking at these these outrageous beards, is, I guess the question you want to ask a lot of them is, what were you thinking? <laughs> but uh, you know, is, is there anyone where, where you would think, I really... Oh, if I had 15 minutes, 30 minutes, I would want to know who else, who else would you want to, t- to talk to? Well, strictly about facial hair, I think Ambrose Burnside, maybe because he was just, he was the, the first one to do his facial hair like that. And so I'd be curious as to know why he decided to do that in the first place and what he thought about how it sort of caught on the way it did. But if we could talk about other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe like Frederick Douglass. I know he wasn't like oh, yes. directly involved in the Civil War, but he seems like an interesting guy. Or, uh, or John Wilkes Booth even, just to, just to know why he was so angry. Interesting. The, uh, yeah, I mean, Douglass, Frederick Douglass certainly uh, was, was, was right there, and I, I would say he was politically involved as much as anyone, so that would be an interesting choice. The uh, it, you know everything we do in studying the Civil War is an attempt in some way to do that to go back in time in our minds to try to contact these people that we we read about through their letters and their diaries to try to get into their world and uh, on this show we we tend to look at the the large political and military events and and. Uh, you know, think about them in in those kinds of terms, and it is uh, worthwhile to take a different perspective and and look at them and at these pictures and just think about. Uh, uh, as I open up, open one up randomly. Uh, there's old nosebag Samuel Henry Starr <laughs> with a giant uh, beard. Uh, it's it's uh, an interesting and. Uh, 
perspective-changing look at these people. Have you... Well, I, I, I was about to ask the same question in a different way, so I don't want to do that. Um, what's your next uh, project? Do you envision doing anything else historical, or well, we does this do. scratch that itch? Yeah, we would both love to write something, maybe a, a companion about women in the Civil War, but there is not really... that. Well, first of all, there aren't as many pictures of them um, in the Library of Congress as there are men. And second of all, there's not really anything that ties them together like facial hair. But it would still be really cool to look at what different people were up to. Yeah, especially because we've been looking at guys' faces for three years, every day for three years. So what are- we, we try to bring women into the blog as much as possible and sort of give them honorary mustaches by photoshopping them onto their faces or whatnot. But, um, yeah, just looking at guys every day for three years sort of makes you want to look at something different for a change. Ready for a break. What about, uh, I'm thinking of, of the magazines of the time, Godey's Ladies Book, uh, for example, Ooh. which has all kinds of weird Funny products. Funny Yeah. That, that- True, sort of like the the cookbooks of the fifties or something. Yes, exactly. You see, it, it has fashion and and uh, patent medicines and and you know there were elaborate uh, layers and layers of undergarments and whalebone stays and uh, all kinds of things. That, that, that there might be something there. I think the worst of those magazines. Yeah, we that's definitely something we could look into. I think that would be really really interesting. And and if that works, when you get a publisher, I demand my cut. Okay, of course. That, that seems only fair. Absolutely. Well, this has been interesting and enlightening. Let me not let you leave without making sure I've got my listeners taken care of. They had said a number of interesting questions, um, and we've really touched on all of them. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let this be the closing question, uh, and it's again from a listener. Uh, it, it says, this is the overarching question. What did these beards mean in the 1860s? What did they say? What were they meant to say? They might say badass now, but what were the what were they trying to signal at that time? Maybe they were trying to like express their personality and you know, put their spin on things. I don't know, they were in uniforms and stuff. Maybe they were just trying to, you know, express themselves in any way they could. That's true. And and soldiers, it's hard to imagine this happening today because soldiers don't have that freedom to wear wear such a giant beard. Very few people in any workplace, except ZZ Top, have liberty to (laughs) wear a beard quite like that. Well, listen, I appreciate very much you joining me on the show this evening. Thanks uh, so much for having us. Uh, any final thoughts for our listeners on uh, who has the, uh, which side had the best beards? I, it's difficult to tell, but I think because the North had, had just more people, maybe they had an advantage in that way. Well, numbers uh, make the difference. Napoleon said victory goes to the biggest battalions, and uh, uh, that, that may be true with beards as well. Mm-hmm. So, Anna Heider and Julia Heider, thanks so much for joining us tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you. Thanks. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. 
Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.